welcome again. Uh, glad we can gather and worship together. And uh, yeah, it's good. And again, we had to open the door to let the, the cool air in a little bit. So that's uh, it's just a good sign that the warm weather's here. And uh, the response I've been getting from people is just there's an excitement about meeting outdoors again. And so I really look forward to that. <clears throat> um, I didn't mention, I mentioned that we're going to be doing barbecues. And so before I jump into anything, um, Randy is going to be uh, spearheading a lot of the barbecues until he's got a trip coming up, I think, halfway through the summer. Um, but him and Elaine will be giving some leadership to that. And so we are looking for people that would be willing to help. Uh, so you may be, if you don't volunteer, you might be approached. So just, <laughs> that is a possibility, right? <laughs> um, and so again, too, like we, last uh, summer, uh, people would show up early on a Sunday and we would take, we've got a bunch of plastic chairs downstairs, really big, thick, nice ones. And uh, people would show up and help carry them out and set them up. It takes like 15 or 20 minutes. Um, but if you could just be thinking about that coming into the summer, if you like hauling chairs, how many people just, like you get up in the morning and you're like, I wish I could haul some chairs, right? <laughs> well, you're going to have an opportunity this summer nine times. So um, if you could be thinking about getting involved and helping the service kind of come together outdoors, that'd be really great. And, uh, and, and, and then bringing them back in after that kind of thing. So uh, today, I just want to start, this is our last sermon in the series on uh, being a diverse church. And I want to ask you a question. And so the main point, and I'm going to come back to this at the end. So I'm going to set it up with this, and then we're going to come back to it. But I want to start with a question. So the main theme of today's message is, is going to come to you in the form of a question. And I want to ask you this. Are you moving toward Jesus? Like in your life, in the way that you live, in the way that you think, uh, the decisions you make, like, are you moving toward Jesus? Okay, so you can be thinking about that. I'm going to uh, wrap back around to that. So in this series on being a diverse church, we talked about, and this, this should be up on the screen, generational diversity, so young and old, ethnic diversity, so all kinds of different ethnicities, socioeconomic diversity, so rich and poor, uh, and then today we're talking about ideological diversity. So this is all based on Jesus' prayer in John 17. He prayed that we, the church, would experience the same kind of unity that the Father experiences with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Like, that is incredible, okay? And as I've said throughout this series, we have a hard time finding unity with ourselves a lot of times, right? You've ever disagreed with yourself you ever had a strong opinion, then changed and disagreed with yourself and wished you hadn't had that opinion? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. So we struggle with that with ourselves. With each other, it is really challenging. And so we're talking about how if, if we're actually a church, if it's, and I'm getting specific today. So if transformation is actually a church that preaches the message of Jesus and lives that out, then we will be generationally diverse. We'll have young and old. We'll be ethnically diverse, all kinds of different ethnicities. We'll be socioeconomically diverse. We'll have rich and poor. We talked about that last week. Somebody really, really rich and somebody poor being best of friends and just loving Jesus together. You don't see that very often. And we'll also be ideologically diverse. And so I'm going to give you a definition of ideology just so that you can uh, understand a little bit about what we're talking about today. I actually think this is probably the most challenging area of diversity to experience unity in. So ideology... If you look it up online or if you look it up in a dictionary, it'll give you a definition that goes sort of like this. It's a system of ideas, ideals, especially one which forms the basis of economic or political theory and policy. 
Or the second definition is it's a a science. Ideology is a science of ideas, the study of their origin and nature. So when I'm talking about ideology, what I'm referring to is just different ways of thinking. Okay, so, so not necessarily just to do with politics, although it does include that, but in just different ways of thinking. And the reason I believe that it's probably the most challenging area for us to experience unity is because if you look at the other categories we talked about, generational diversity, you know, we talked about baby boomers and millennials and Gen Xers and Gen Z. Like, even within the different age categories, people have a hard time finding agreement with each other if they have different ideas about life, right? So if you get a bunch of old people in a room, they're not, just, they're not going to get along just because they're all from the same generation. They're going to have different ideas. If you get a bunch of young people in a room, they're going to struggle to get along, right? You guys ever seen that? It's the same thing um, in ethnic diversity, socioeconomic diversity. People that are um, diverse in certain areas but share commonalities with each other, there's a struggle to get along when we have different ideas. And in the church even more so. You know, it's a challenge for churches to actually be really united because of the differences of views and opinions, the way that we understand the world. Uh, I'm going to read some scripture, but before I do, I want to I kind of frame this a little bit more. And I know that we're probably really tired of hearing about the pandemic and all the restrictions and all of the different disagreements, um, but it's the best illustration I can give us because it was very real for us. So during the two years of when the pandemic was really strict, there was a lot of division in the churches over how to respond. Should we mandate masks? Should we mandate vaccines? Should we encourage people to get vaccines? Should we not encourage people to get vaccines? Is it a good godly thing to encourage vaccines? All of these different questions and churches were split and divided over it. You know, one of the things that was a blessing, so there's a couple different leadership teams at, at this church, and we have one, and because we're a church plant, we don't fully have a board yet. We will get there. But we have a team with, with four people that functions a lot like a board. You know what was really cool? It might sound like it's not really cool uh, when you hear about it, but it actually was. On that team of four, there were two, two people who were vaccinated and two who were not. So when we were making decisions as a church... Sometimes we had conversations that lasted hours where we were wrestling and we were going back and forth and it was really challenging and really difficult. And at the end of the, like, where, where we landed at as far as what we were going to do as a church, we actually were grateful that there was different views on this in the room. Because you know what we decided? Like, in the middle of all this, the restrictions and the lockdowns and all this stuff and all these questions, we decided that, like, we all love Jesus. Like, as a church... One of, the, one of the main things that Transformation Church was founded on is it's founded on like transform, the word transformation. We don't experience transformation unless Jesus does something inside of us. And, it, and, and, and Jesus, the whole message of the gospel is, is faith that Jesus really did. He came, he lived, he died for our sins. God rose him from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And, and Christians, followers of Jesus, are people that trust him, that trust in, in his forgiveness and his love. And we are awaiting his return. We're, we're living in light of his return. We agree on that. And we realized, like as a church, that, that we agreed on that, and that was actually um, what united us, even though we had differences of view on some things. Something else I'll tell you that I really sensed in the middle of, of the pandemic, 
I had this, like, as we were making decisions and as I talked to different people, and believe me, I talked to people who had strong views on, I wouldn't even just say, you know, the two sides. There was multiple sides of, like, how to, how to view this whole issue. But I had this sense in the middle of when we were making decisions that we could, we could have, as a team, made decisions that would have catered to a crowd that was very pro-vaccine or pro-mask or whatever, and that would have been exciting for some people, and people would have came and been a part of the church because of that, and some people would have left. Or we could have catered to the whole side of, like, you know what, we're not going to insist on what the government's saying. We're not going to push that. We're, we're just going to kind of do our own thing. We, I also had the sense that we could, we could have catered to that ideology, that view, that way of thinking, and it would have made some people really happy. Some people would have joined the church because they would have said, finally, a church doing the right thing. And I had this, like, it was like a conviction that I felt from the Lord was saying, like, that's not the gospel. Like to cater to to one way of thinking or the other on that issue specifically isn't the gospel. Like the gospel has to do with Jesus, who he is. I will say we, where we landed, we, as, as a, as a church and, and we, this is where we stand even today. um, We have this conviction that we wouldn't turn anybody away. So regardless of what was going to happen with um, showing your vaccine status or anything like that at the door, we weren't going to get to the point where we were going to check for that and turn people away. So as a team, we, we did arrive at some pretty solid convictions on, on some of those things because for us, that was like a gospel issue. Like the gospel is actually for everybody, whether you're, like, whether you're a different ethnicity, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're young or old, you know, whether you have different ideas and ways of thinking on different things. Like the gospel is for everybody and it centers around Jesus and who he is. And so I want to share that as a bit of an example, just, like, just to show you that even for us as a, as a church and as a community, something that we've had to wrestle through is different ways of seeing um, some of the situations that we face. And it's hard to say, you know, uh, with, uh, and definitively, you know, who's right or wrong on some of these issues, but it's really important that we agree on who Jesus is. And the question I want to ask you, as we think about, you know, diversity of ideology, diversity of thinking, like, are you moving toward Jesus? If you are, I guarantee you, he's going to have you in community with people that think differently than you do on some, some important issues. And his prayer in John 17, and we read it at the beginning of this series, his prayer is that we would experience a unity that is as deep and profound as the unity God experiences within himself. So if we're going to divide with each other over, over some of these issues, like it's, it's moving away from what the prayer that Jesus has for his church is. If, if we actually are the kind of church that he wants us to be, then, then we'll be generationally diverse, ideologically diverse, ethnically diverse. We're going to have diversity in these areas, sociologically diverse, right? We, we shouldn't all look and smell and act and, and think the same. Things are different, right? Uh, but we're, what, what we're united on is, is what the scriptures teach about who Jesus is and what it means to, to follow him. And so these scriptures are going to be on the screen. Uh, again, I'm going to just read um, three different scriptures from three different places uh, in the Bible. And just to give you an idea, like the theme that, that we're talking about here, about ideological diversity, but unity, is something that is, is throughout scripture. And so in Ephesians, and there's more, by the way, if you get the email, um, I sent a list of scriptures that you could read kind of as homework, and I would encourage you to go and read uh, through those scriptures and just have a, uh, an understanding of what God has to say about uh, this topic. So in Ephesians chapter 4, 
verses 1 through 6. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you. He's talking to a church kind of similar to TC. It was a church that he was a part of planting. He says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to be one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living, uh, and living through all. You know, this teaching, you know, when I, to go back to the example I gave earlier, like we had differences of view on, on some of the decisions that we needed to make as a, as a church community over these last couple years. But, but Paul here, he spoke to a church 2,000 years ago. Churches weren't that much different than what they are today. I mean, the issues were a little bit different that they faced, but they had disagreements over some really important issues, how to respond to culture, how to uh, think about politics, all those different things. And Paul is saying here, make allowance for each other's faults. Even when I think back to these last couple of years, um, the four of us that are in the room, I'll bet you if we all get together again, we would be honest with each other about how, like, you know, I'm not sure that I was 100% right on everything that I said or thought or believed. Like, to, to be unified with somebody who thinks differently is to make allowance for each other's faults, to figure out, like, well, what does it look like to actually move toward Jesus together, even though we think differently. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, again, Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, he says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other, let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. So pretty powerful words. He's saying to this church, similar to TC, he's like, don't let there be any divisions. Be united in, in the way that you think, in your purpose, in your focus, right? And, and in a couple minutes, I'm going to read about how Paul, um, he didn't actually always live that out. That's one of the things I love about the scriptures is that God, some of the examples God gives us in the scriptures are people that uh, failed in some of the very things that they said or believed that they said, right? And the reason they're an example is because like, like us, the people that, were, that God used to write the scriptures, they wrestled in their relationship with God and how to live with each other. But what Paul was going back to, what he's saying here in, in Corinthians is like, let there be no divisions, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. In Luke chapter 9, uh, we're going to hear Jesus' words. And so Jesus has 12 disciples and then a whole bunch of other disciples that follow him around as well. And uh, John, one of the disciples, he comes to Jesus and listen to what he says. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw somebody using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. But Jesus said, don't stop him. Anybody who's not uh, against you is for you. And so Jesus, his, even his disciples, they're like following Jesus around and they're seeing Jesus do miracles and they're like this group. They're, they're, maybe they represent sort of like TC, right? And then they see another church group and they're doing something a little bit similar, but it's different. You know, they're, they're, they're using Jesus' name, but they, maybe they have different uh, liturgy that they say with each other or a different way of communicating. And they come to Jesus, right? And they're like, Jesus, we, we told them to stop because what they're doing was wrong. They don't do it like we do. And Jesus is like, don't tell them to stop. If they're not against you, they're, they're for you. Right? So this like, tendency towards like, fighting against people who think differently than us is something that we see in Scripture that happened a lot. I'm going to put up on, on the screen um, some issues that have been divisive in the church. Okay? And, and I'm doing this, I'm trying to tread carefully because I don't want to stir up like, 
people being mad or, or like voicing their opinion to the point of like dividing with somebody. But, but realistically, these are issues that the church has faced. And believe me, I didn't cover them all. I, d- I didn't have enough paper, <laughs> okay, uh, to cover them all. If you, if you go and hang out with other people who love Jesus or go to other churches, you'll, fi- there's, you'll find there's all kinds of uh, divisive issues. But, um, you know, in the last uh, couple thousand years since the resurrection of Christ, as the, as the church has grown and expanded, there's been division over uh, things like Calvinism versus Arminianism, okay? Women in ministry, Spiritual gifts, tongues, prophecy, and healing. Is that something that was just for first century or today? And if it is for today, what does it look like to practice it? Hermeneutics, uh, which is the science of scriptural interpretation. You know, some people, the way that they interpret scripture is very, very literal, very wooden. And some people would see more, uh, you know, poetry or they see God speaking to an audience at that time. And then maybe some things shifted and changed. And there's all kinds of debates over what that looks like. Creation views, young earth versus old earth. Is the, is the earth, you know, uh, six to 8,000 years old, or is it millions of years old? The church and politics, money, how should money be spent? I read about uh, a lecturer recently, uh, and he said he was talking about one of these issues. He was talking about creation, and, and he was arguing about whether the, the earth was young or whether the earth is millions of years old. And this is the statement he made. He says, if you deny that God made the world... In six 24-hour days, you've denied Jesus on the that you've denied that Jesus died on the cross. So there's like the issues like this, okay? So even even here, and I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, if we were to have a discussion today about what we thought about the age of the earth, there would be lots of disagreement and and argument and all those different kinds of things. And I grew up seeing this, and this issue in particular is something that the reason I read that quote is because I went to a presentation where I heard something very similar to that. Where the speaker said, you know, if you, if you don't believe the earth is, is only six to 8,000 years old, um, then you don't believe the gospel. You don't believe Jesus. And, and the, his interpretation of the way that that Bible story is told is that, that that's what the Bible teaches, is that the, the earth is this, you know, only that old. It's young. And then, and then like, as I grew and, and read, I met people who love Jesus, who have a desire to reach the, the, their neighborhoods, their communities with the gospel of Jesus, who've come to a different understanding where they're like, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. And, and they actually would say, no, the earth is millions of years old, and they've explained it really well, um, biblically and all this stuff. And I want to bring that up today without even telling you where I land on that. And I'll tell you where I land on it is it centers around Jesus. Are you moving toward Jesus? However, some of those conversations, they're important and they're worth having, but they can't be conversations that cause us to split up with each other if we, if we have a love for Jesus and a desire to put him first. But those issues do cause division. And I really believe that it actually grieves God's heart. And, what, and, and as somebody who loves Jesus and I love the church and I'm convinced that Jesus' prayer in John 17 is, is a prayer that his desire is to see it answered today. Like Because I'm convinced of that, sometimes it grieves me when I see these issues cause serious division amongst people who love Jesus. The, the, the question about um, women in ministry or Calvinism versus Arminianism. I've seen people split ways. And, and what's sad about it is that sometimes when, when people split up over an issue like that, they, they make the statement that, well, they're not even a Christian then. And so the question today I want to ask you is, are you moving toward Jesus? And I want to make this, this point. Uh, this is really important 
that arguing and debating is actually not a bad thing. You know, I heard a marriage counselor say once that um, healthy marriages, there's like, there's quite a bit of bickering. And it's funny, this came up this morning, we were in prayer, and uh, Don and Kaya, we were talking uh, about like how things get put together in a home and some of the arguments in a marriage. And I was telling them like in my house, uh, Vicky and I, and my kids could testify to this, like we, we don't always get along. When we buy something from Ikea, sometimes that causes some major marital issues, okay? <laughs> like some major marital issues. We're trying to put something together from Ikea. We've figured it out. What now we do is like Vicky takes the instructions and I just don't even look at them. I go on the floor and I do whatever she says and then we've got that figured out, right? But there's quite a bit of like, and if you walked in, okay, and you thought you had this right good view of me as a pastor and you walk into our house and we're trying to put together a, a piece of furniture from Ikea, you might go like, man, these guys need some prayer, <laughs> like, right? Like, this is not good. But the point is, like, bickering, arguing, like, when you're really close with somebody, it's okay to disagree. It's actually, it's a good thing. But this marriage counselor, what, what he was pointing out, and this was just, this was years ago, and it's, um, it's something that's had a profound impact on my life. He said, he said, like, if you are really, really close and you've worked out with each other heart issues, then you're going to bicker over all kinds of other things, and that's healthy, that's good. But it's unhealthy when the fights, and you think about this in a marriage, when the fights uh, are over things like, I think you're cheating on me. You were out with so-and-so, and, and I think that, you know, something's going on that shouldn't be. Or like deep, deep heart issues. When those kinds of fights are coming up, it's actually a sign that there's something unhealthy going on. But if you're close, you should be able to have, you know, bickering and disagreements. And the, the things I put up on the board there, you know, Calvinism versus Arminianism, you know, spiritual gifts, the church and politics, creation views. Like, if we love each other, which we should, if we agree, okay, and so just imagine here, TC, uh, if we agree with each other that we, we love Jesus, we're moving towards him, and we know he's actually called us to have an impact on this community. He's actually called us to share uh, our relationship that we have with him with others. Then when we're with each other, we can, we can challenge each other on some of these issues. And we could say, no, nah, I, I think you're off base on that. You know, I, th- I think maybe you're wrong because of whatever. And there can be some healthy disagreement. There can be some healthy back and forth on some of these things because we're united on the thing that matters. We're united on the, what is central to the gospel. I realized um, years ago when I did a lot of like traveling evangelism and, and mission, mission um, focused ministry, uh, I was actually, uh, I realized like there's very few people uh, that are willing to take somebody in and but that's going through a tough situation. And we had this young lady that was traveling with us and she came from a really broken home. There's a lot of like abuse and drugs and all kinds of crazy stuff. And uh, I remember at the time, like, Vicky and I weren't able to take her in, and uh, she was telling her testimony about how this other family had taken her in to their home, and she's going through some pretty serious transformation and change, and it was awesome. And it just hit me in that moment where I was like, I, like, that family that took her in, I knew that we probably disagreed on some things. But at that moment, I was like, it doesn't matter at all, because the mission was what was most important. Not just our view or our opinion on something, it was the mission. And, and I believe, church, that if we get to the point where we agree on who Jesus is and what he's called us to do, like some of these other issues that usually cause division don't matter as much because our focus is on sharing this love of Jesus and seeing people come to know him. Like the mission takes precedence 
over just our views on some of these issues. And when, when you're dealing with people that are struggling and that are broken and, 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 or, or people that you know, are caught up in, in pride and arrogance and they're, they're kind of lost, like if the focus is just sharing Jesus, then some of these divisive issues matter a lot less. Now I want to read, so in Acts chapter 15, I told you we're going to read something about, so Paul wrote a couple of the verses we read earlier. And I want you to see how Paul didn't always do what he said was most important to do. Okay, so this is Paul and Barnabas, and you may be familiar with the story, but it's going to be a few verses from Acts chapter 15. It'll be up on the screen. It says, After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's glorious care. And then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. And so what you're seeing here, what we read, Paul and Barnabas, they're like partners, okay? They had gone out and they planted a bunch of churches. They saw God do some awesome things. And at one point in their journeys, they had this guy with them. His name was John Mark. And at some point, while they were doing ministry, while they were telling people about Jesus, John Mark left, okay? And Paul, he's ticked off that John Mark left when he did, okay? He was like, man, and, and whatever, for whatever reason, John Mark may have left because there was crazy persecution or somebody offended him or he was afraid for his life or whatever it was, for some reason he left. And Paul thought, you know what? You've deserted Jesus. Like, you're wrong. And so when Paul and Barnabas were getting ready to go out again, Paul wanted to, uh, wanted to say, you know what, we're not bringing John Mark. And Barnabas was like, no, we are bringing John Mark. And their disagreement was so sharp that they, they split ways. What's interesting about this story is that later in Paul's life, and you can look this up, um, but actually when he was near the end of his life, he actually asked for John Mark to be sent to him. So there was some kind of repentance that Paul went through where he realized he was off base in his harsh judgment of this young guy, John Mark. This, this is also really cool. You realize that Paul, when he first like, started getting involved in ministry, he was not trusted by the church. And Barnabas advocated on his behalf. Barnabas went to the, the rest of the apostles and he was like, listen, you can trust Paul. And that's why Paul got an opportunity to be a preacher. And it was almost like Paul forgot that because then when, when uh, John Mark did whatever John Mark did, Paul just kind of like said, you know what, we're, we're done with you. You, you. you can't come with us. And he had this sharp disagreement. What's interesting is, again, Barnabas stands up for the underdog. And it was like Paul forgot that Barnabas did that for him one time. Because there was a time in Paul's life where he was not trusted by the church because of his past and the things that he'd done, and Barnabas stuck up for him. And now, later in life, he's in ministry, he's successful, and, and John Mark does something that Paul disagreed with, and he wanted to write him off. And Barnabas stuck up for John Mark and said, no, like he, he should be welcome back. I think, I think he's redeemable. God could do something. And the disagreement was so sharp that they, they went their separate ways. And, and I, I love that this is here in Scripture because uh, we see this in our own uh, day, in our own ministries, and I believe we can learn from uh, what happened here in Scripture. I will say God used it. You know, Barnabas went one way and Paul went the other. They both brought different partners together and they, they preached the gospel. And actually, God used their separation. 
And I'm and, and also not going to go too deep into this, but I think sometimes when, when people part ways or they, they go separate uh, places, God actually uses both in different locations in spite of their disagreement. You know, just, just to make it local, like, uh, I actually, I celebrate that in Thunder Bay, there's different kinds of churches. There's churches that emphasize different things, but they're united on who Jesus is. But maybe getting together every week wouldn't work because of some differences of, of, of views and ways of doing things. That's actually not a bad thing. And it's actually, it's actually good that there's different expressions of, of worshiping Jesus. But I want to, um, here, here's, so we're talking about like church stuff. But in Canada, we're, we're becoming more of a pluralistic society. You know what I mean by that? Like, just all kinds of different ways of thinking. All kinds of different religious views. Uh, we're moving away from, uh, like, a conviction about God and who He is. I mean, it's, it's debatable about how much of that was, was a part of, of, of Canada at one point anyway because of some of the horrible things that, that have happened. But more and more, we're becoming pluralistic in the sense where we're saying, well, God's not really the only way to think. You know, there's, there's all kinds of different uh, ways to think or, or ways to worship. I want to read you uh, Vijay's story. So Vijay, he's a Hindu from India, and uh, a guy named David Livermore tells Vijay's story. And uh, Vijay, he has an interesting encounter with Jesus. And I'm just going to read uh, his short testimony about how he became a Jesus follower. And just remember, I'm asking you the question, are you moving toward Jesus? So Vijay's friend, David, and this isn't up on the screen, so you just have to uh, listen. His, his friend David asked him, he says, Vijay, when did you become a Christian? And just listen to Vijay's response, because it might challenge some of our assumptions about what it means to be a Christian. He started by saying, well, I'm still becoming a Christian, Dave, but this was unlike most salvation testimonies I've heard. Three hours later, Vijay was still going strong, telling me about the many years he had been on a journey toward Jesus. From as far back as his years in primary school, he talked about the local Christian evangelist who stuck up for him as a seven-year-old when some older kids in the village were picking on him. He grew teary-eyed when he called the Swedish, when he recalled the Swedish missionary who paid the bond to free him at the age of 12 from enslavement to the store owner to which his parents were indebted. Then he told me about the day he put a picture of Jesus up on the wall in his parents' home to join the other gods hanging there. And there was the miraculous healing of the Christian neighbor's son, which was in part the reason that Vijay prayed a prayer uh, straight that he'd be able to study medicine in the States. When he came to the States, he brought some other gods along with him to the States. But one night after spending a weekend with his adopted family in the Chicago area, a Christian family, he decided to put all his gods away and make Jesus his only God. So David, his friend, was trying to figure out, okay, Vijay, like, when did you become a Christian? I know that, that, that you came from another religious way of thinking, and, and the difference between Hinduism and Christianity is in Hinduism, there's an acknowledgement of thousands of different gods. And so this guy, David, he's trying to figure out, Vijay, like, when did you become a Christian? And Vijay's like, well, I'm still becoming a Christian. I'm still moving towards Jesus. And, and David, in this book, he actually tells the story, and, and it's interesting because he paints this picture of Vijay coming over. He'd already had some encounters with Jesus, but when he came over to America, like, he brought these other gods with him. You know, he had, he had you know, different um, carvings of, of different gods that were up on the wall along with a picture of Jesus, but he was moving towards Jesus. I'm going to keep that in your mind for a second, okay? 
and so th- this is, uh, uh, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with um, a guy named Paul Hebert, not Justin Hebert. Um, he talks about, and this is very, very important for, for being ideologically diverse. He talks about two different kinds of, of ways of categorizing things. Okay, I'm going to go back to the story of VJ to, to, to make this clear. Well, there's a bounded set thinking, and this should be up on the screen, and a centered set thinking. Okay, so we sometimes, in our North American way of thinking, we're very boxy in the way that we think, the way that we categorize things, okay? And so we have, like, a bounded set thinking means that there's clear boundaries. And so an apple is an apple, and an orange is not an apple, right? Uh, an orange is an orange. A human is a human. A fork is a fork. Those, those things have their specific set categories, Centered set thinking, and what um, Paul Hebert was, was challenging the Christian church with, with doing was, was thinking along these lines. He said, an apple is an apple, but so is the bud or the apple blossom, which is becoming an apple. But it doesn't fit into the category of what you would say is an apple, right? You following? Same thing with an orange. An orange is an orange, but so is the seed. The seed doesn't fit into the category of saying, well, that's an orange, but it's becoming an orange. A human is a human being, but so is the baby in the womb or the seed uh, that will become a baby. It's on its way. So there's this centered set thinking. A fork is a, a fork, but so is the liquid metal, which will become a fork after it's poured into the little fork-shaped thing, right? So now I need to just keep VJ in your mind for a second. So uh, uh, Paul Hebert goes on with this illustration. He says, in, in America, North American-type thinking, farmers have like... Uh, a lot of times we have fences that keep animals in place, right? He said in lots of other places in the world, buying fencing is really expensive and it's difficult to, to build the fences and set all that up. And so what a lot of farmers do is they, they bring their cattle or their, their animals around a well. And the well uh, brings the animal back. So the animals might traverse pretty far away from the well, but they always come back because the well is the source of life for that animal. It's the... It's the it's the life source, right? So in North American type thinking, we like boxes, we like fences, we like knowing things, you know, specifically. And the, these next couple pictures on the screen, Megan helped me out with this graphic, and it's, it's super cool. Um, so in fence type thinking, right, and, and this is really typical of, of how a lot of us think, um, we would say, well, a person is a Christian if they have certain behaviors and certain beliefs, Right? So for behavior, you know, if a person says the sinner's prayer, or if they attend church, or if they evangelize, or if they wait till they're married to have sex, right? And then on the belief side, if they agree with the Apostles' Creed, which we read this morning, if they believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, uh, if they agree with Christian teaching on sexuality, if they believe in the one true God, that's what makes a person a Christian, right? But here, here's what I want to challenge your thinking. The next slide... This, this thinking about Jesus, if, if our center is on Jesus, in Vijay's story, what was interesting in reading about Vijay's story and his, his, his journey towards Jesus is his friend who has this very North American mindset was like, well, well Vijay, when did you become a Christian? And Vijay's like, oh, I don't really know. I'm still becoming a Christian. I'm still moving toward Jesus. And you know what we're seeing that happens a lot even today in churches is that if you go back to that other slide, Anna, there's a lot of people that maybe grew up in the church or they're used to church culture, and they would, you know, have Christian behavior that looks very Christian. And they would be able to uh, agree with the Christian beliefs. But go to the next slide again. 
Some people are actually, they look close to Jesus, but they're actually moving away. They're saying, you know what, I don't really believe that stuff anymore. I don't really think that way anymore. And they're, they're wrestling with it. They're, they're walking away from a faith in Jesus. But then there's people that, like, they're moving towards Jesus. You see the guy over here, and, and imagine him, like, a little bit further away. And to the outside eye, it looks like, well, he's not a Christian because he doesn't really know the, uh, what the Apostles' Creed means, or he hasn't said the sinner's prayer, or he doesn't, you know, he, he still uh, lives with somebody he's not married to, or whatever it is, right? But he's moving toward Jesus. And what I believe God is calling us to do as, as we communicate the gospel, as we tell people about Christ, is that, like, we focus in on, like, who Jesus is. The, the stuff on the other list is really important, believing what the Bible says, you know, uh, behaving in ways that reflect what God's truth tells us to do. But it's a journey to getting there. And the point of this illustration is to say different people are at different places in their journey. And sometimes somebody who might look like they're really close with the Lord might be a little further away, whereas somebody who looks like they're really far away might actually be on their way towards Jesus. And sometimes we're so boxy in our thinking, and we create divisions where divisions do not need to be created. And what God is calling us to do is to to focus on, to emphasize Jesus and who he is. And so uh, I'm going to invite the the team to come up. And I want to give you uh, just a couple encouragements, challenges. And and then I'm going to wrap it around with this question, are you moving towards Jesus? But in your conversations with each other, as you talk about different issues, as you wrestle through, you know, beliefs and different ways of seeing things, one of the things I encourage people to do is to be curious. You know, when you meet somebody who has a view that's different than yours, as opposed to being argumentative or standoffish or, or as opposed to being dismissive and saying, well, you're, you're wrong, like to be curious about where somebody's coming from. The second thing is to pursue truth. Like, as, as you wrestle through, and as we, as a church, I believe God is calling us to be a church that actually displays this kind of unity. Like, choose to be a person that says, you know what, I'm going to pursue truth. Even if it disagrees with, with my thinking, even if, even if it, it makes things really difficult or challenging or awkward for me, I want to pursue truth. Right? But be careful not to hold over other people what you believe is, is true when, it, when it's not to do... Um, with the core of, of what we believe as, as followers of Jesus. And the third thing is make a big deal of Jesus. You know, one of the things that you'll notice that, that we believe is really important here um, at TC is we just, we want to worship Jesus. You know, I, I love it when, when we have people in the room that are different in different ways, and we just worship Jesus. I had a professor uh, say once at Bible school, he said, Christians, like, they do really well when they worship and pray but as soon as they open their mouths to talk about theology and opinions, well, sparks fly, right? Like, it's just crazy, right? And, it, and as I said, it's important to talk through some of those things, but we make a, like, one of the, the, the goals that we have as a, as a church is, like, we want to make a big deal of Jesus and worship him. And the question I have for you is, are you moving toward Jesus? And that will be challenging, because I'll tell you this, too. If you're moving toward Jesus, like, you will be offended at some of the things that he tells you to do at some of the ways that he tells you to change your, your thinking or your behavior. But the, the point is, are you moving toward Jesus? Have you trusted him? And as we sing this, this last couple songs, I just want to encourage you, like if you know that uh, your heart isn't in the right place with God, I would encourage you, even as we're closing, just to, to like invite Jesus into your life. Surrender to him.
Scriptures teach us that Jesus died on the cross because of our sin and also to free us from oppression and sin and wickedness and evil. And when we put our faith in him, that we're made right with God, he changes us from the inside out. If you've not put your faith in him, I encourage you, like, call out to him. And the question that I want you to reflect on, like, are you moving toward Jesus? Lord, thank you for for your word. Thank you for uh, how you challenge us. Um, And Lord, I just want to acknowledge, even in this room, there's there's different views on uh, some of the the things we talked about that have to do with, like, theology and in the church. Um, But then even as as a country... Um, there's all kinds of different views about what it means to believe you or other you know, religious ways of thinking or whatever it is. And Lord, we know that it's so clear, that your scriptures make it so clear, Jesus, that uh, you have come to reveal to us God. And I pray, Lord, that you would unite our hearts on this conviction about who you are, Jesus. But then you'd also help us to embrace each other as we think differently on various issues and topics and, and things like that, Lord. Help us to become more like you in the way that we love others, and the way that we give other, other people space to, to work through things, Lord. God, we love you, we look to you, and we just want to continue to welcome your spirit in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.